Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Early on in Book 3 of his Meditations, Marcus Aurelius sets out for us some insights about pleasure and beauty in what we could call an aesthetic framework. That is looking at things, sensing them, taking them in and finding something of value there that a lot of people are going to miss out on or even just have an opposite reaction to and consider ugly. And this is a very interesting thing that he's pointing out because typically we look at Stoics as being, if not against pleasure, at least largely indifferent to it. And Marcus isn't saying, well, you should pursue pleasure as much as you want, like some sort of hedonist. But he is willing to say, you know, there's a lot of beauty and pleasure out there waiting for you. You just have to look at it in the right way with the right point of view. And he's going to give us some ideas about what that is. So he starts by saying it's necessary. Hre is the Greek term there, this sort of indefinite verb that just suggests this is what ought to be done. So we ought to remember, and this is a very interesting term here as well, parafulachen. So fulachen means to guard, to preserve, to hold on to, right? To, to keep within us. And then the para sort of accentuates it, right? We ought to keep in mind, we ought to have ready to deploy this insight that the, as it's being translated here by Hayes, inadvertences of nature. Now the Greek is a little bit more complicated and notice that we've got the same verb essentially repeated here. So nature is tois fuse gignomenois. So fusis is nature, right? And this is the things that are happening, the things that are arising, that are coming into being through nature, right? So the natural world and its many, many different matters. Now, inadvertences, epigignomena, this implies coming after epi in this case. So the things that come into being out of things that are coming into being through nature, right? The extra stuff, the surplus, the could be also things that we typically view as problematic or bad. And he tells us that each of these has its charm, ti-u-chari, right? And this is coming from two different terms, eu, goodness, charis, something that is, you know, grace, joy, something that we respond to. And then the ti, a certain, a kind of, right? So a certain kind of charm and even attractiveness, ep-agogon, right? A capacity to attract, to fascinate us. So this is a very interesting thing to say. How do we put this all together, we should keep in mind that all these things of nature, even in what seems to be superfluous, going wrong, their imperfections, possess 
their own charm and attractiveness. And he gives us a whole bunch of examples here, many of which have to do with gustatory delights, right? He says, the way loaves of bread split open on top in the oven, the ridges are just byproducts of the baking, and yet they're pleasing to us. Think about an, uh, you know, a golden loaf of bread with that crack, and every single one is slightly different than the other. None of them are perfect, but you look at it and you're like, mmm, that looks good, right? And he says, somehow they rouse our appetite without us knowing why. We not only have a visual aesthetic reaction to it, we also have a gustatory aesthetic reaction. We're like, I want to eat that piece of bread. That looks really good, that loaf of bread, right? And we can think of other examples. He says, how ripe figs begin to burst. Now, you know, if you live in a place where figs are not all that common, you you could think about a peach or apricot, right? That is so close to ripeness or a plum or berries, or you could think of an avocado, you know, as it's getting slightly mushy and beginning to give, right? Bananas, another great example. You don't want to eat them when they're green and you don't want to eat them when they're pure yellow. You want to wait until they start to get a little bit brown, right? That carbohydrates are breaking down into sugars and they're becoming sweet. He says, olives on the point of falling from the tree. And we can think of all sorts of other things. Raspberries as they're about to come off of the vine. Grapes, mulberries, pick whatever it is that you want. The shadow of decay, he says, gives them a peculiar beauty. That being right on the cusp, not yet decaying, but close to it. Then he goes on and he says, stalks of wheat bending under their own weight, ripe, full of the seed that we will then take and grind and turn into flour. And we could say this about any other kind of plant. Think about growing beans and seeing the vines or peas, right? Just being borne down by their own weight. I remember once having a peach tree that had produced so many fruit that the I actually had to make sure to pull them off because it was at risk of breaking the branches on the tree. But then he goes and says two other things that are very very interesting as examples here. Lions and boars. The furrowed brow of the lion. When the, the lion's brow is furrowed, it is upset. It is a little bit angry. It's about to do lion stuff, right? And get out there and attack. That even has, I mean, it's terrifying, but it has its own beauty to it, right? We might say the snarl on a dog's mouth even. And then he brings up the boar. Now, Boar are no joke, right? Wild boar are kind of terrifying creatures. Flecks of foam on the boar's mouth, right? All of these things, many people would say, they're not beautiful. They're actually kind of gross, kind of ugly, kind of terrifying. Marcus is saying all of those have their charm and attractiveness when we look at them in the right way. So how should we look at them? He tells us, well, when we look at these things in isolation, kat idion, isolated from other things, or even, interestingly, there's kind of a, a play on words here. It could be when we think about them abstractly in accordance with their archetype, their idea, right? Then they don't measure up and we're not happy with them. They're far from beautiful. Poro is the, the word. They're distanced from being something attractive. But when they're supplementing epakoluthane, following upon nature, then they enrich nature 
They add to it. They, they make it more real, more concrete, and they attract us, right? Uh, again, this function of epagogon. They draw us in. They, how is it translated in this one? Draw us into the aesthetic experience. And so he tells us, now here's where we get to some of the criteria. A person who has feeling, pathos, usually pathos is a bad thing, but here Marcus is using it in a good way. When you have feeling and a deeper sensitivity, annoyan bathuteran. So bathus is depth, right? Going down deep into the ocean, caves oneself. Sensitivity here, annoyan. So the annoya are common ideas that the Stoics thought that we all have as human beings, but some people are able to make better use of them. Some people are able to access them more easily. So if we have a feeling and deeper sensitivity for, and it's translated here as nature, but really the more literal translation would be towards those things that occur in the totality, right? So nature works, but the emphasis here is on those things and on them being part of a greater whole. Prosta en to holo gignomena. Holo is holos, the totality, the whole, the universe, right? And ta gignomena, the things that come into being, as we've talked about before. So the person who has this, will find pleasure. And he uses the word hedeos. He will find them pleasantly or pleasant, right? They will find pleasure in these things. And what does he give as examples? The jaws of live animals. So lions, boars, dogs, all these sorts of things. He will find the jaws of these live animals. And live there is translating alethe, or it's true animals, real animals, as beautiful as painted ones or sculptures. This is a very interesting observation. Some people would say, well, we don't like, you know, the scary monstrous animal over there when we, we actually have to see it, but we love it in a painting or we love it in a sculpture. Then we can look at it at our leisure and we're not worried about it eating us or biting us or hurting us in some way. But Marcus is saying, even in the live animals, we can find beauty in their jaws or the distinct beauty of old age in men and women. So typically we think about aging as a process of losing beauty, right? Because we equate beauty with youth. Marcus is saying you can look at any person and those lines on their face are, if we look at it in terms of the greater whole and we actually pay attention to what's going on there, they can be beautiful. Stretch marks can be beautiful. Blemishes can be beautiful. Having too many freckles can be beautiful. Getting a sunburn can have a certain kind of beauty to it as well. He also talks about children. Children have their own little kinds of beauty as well. And we might extend this to animals, you know, as they age or are little children too. And he says other things like that, this isn't a exclusive or comprehensive list. Other things like that will come to him constantly if he's paying attention to the world, right? So these things are unnoticed by others who are not adequately attending to them or are judging them in relation to, you know, some sort of ideal that they don't measure up to. When those people do that, they're depriving themselves of the opportunity to experience this charm and attractiveness, to experience pleasure, to experience beauty in these matters that surround us constantly. He says, 
Things seen only by those at home with nature and its works. Those who actually can be at home with nature and its works, not preoccupied, not distracted, not judging these works by the wrong criteria, can actually have a much more enjoyable experience of the myriad things that are part of their life and that surround them and that could charm and even captivate them and give them pleasure in a certain way. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.